Well, good morning. Welcome to Central once again, where we seek transformation through the renewing work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're working our way through our sermon series this fall called Life by Design. It's an exploration of what it means to be made in the image of God and live our lives with the recognition that we belong to God and not to ourselves. Last week, we looked at how God changes us in relationship with other people. We need one another. And today, we're going to drill down a little bit more deeply into that idea of relationships. We're going to study marriage and sexuality next week, but today, we've been designed for family. What does God do through family in us and in this world? I want to encourage you to open your Bibles if you brought them with you. If you didn't, there's one in the pew rack in front of you. Be looking at Psalm 78 on page 488 in that Pew Bible, but keep them open because we'll look at other scriptures through our time together this morning. What does God do through the family? Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes by the power of your spirit that we might behold Jesus. Lord, renew our hearts and our wills that we would exalt him, Lord, and follow him. Shape us and mold us to be your dearly loved people, we pray. And so, Lord, we ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 78, verses 1 through 8, hear God's word. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell them to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He has established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. How much do you think about your legacy? The things that you leave behind in this world, the the things that follow on as a consequence of how you've lived your life, what you've done in your life? The truth is that God has designed us to think about these things. We are created for eternity, so it's natural for us to think about what do we give our lives to which extend beyond our lives, that endure in this world. What is that for you? What, is your, what do you hope to be your legacy? When we think about that question, many of us think first about our work, that indelible mark that we leave on this world, putting the gifts that God has given us to use in our work. We make things, we build things, we invent things, and that work is good. So we'll study in a few weeks that work was given to us before the fall. Work is a good activity, a good gift of God. But what I would like to suggest to us this morning is that when we think about legacy, if first we think about work and the work product we leave behind 
that we're not thinking about it in exactly the way the Bible does. We've studied Genesis 1, 27 and 28 a few times yet this fall. And listen carefully as I read verse 28 to you again. Speaking of Adam and Eve, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea. And he goes on to the rest of that creation mandate given to Adam and Eve and to all humanity. Do you, but do you hear what came first in God's blessing and God's charge? It's family. Be fruitful and multiply became before work. And I would like to su- suggest to you this morning, that's not happenstance. And I would encourage us to recover that sense of priority that God has designed us to be set in families. And when we think about the legacy of our lives, what we leave behind, family should play a significant part in what we leave behind and what we consider to be our legacy. But the way the Bible describes family is far more inclusive than we might first expect. We're going to look at two points briefly this morning. First, how God sets us in a family. And second, how God shapes us in a family. First, how God sets us in families. We're not merely individuals, but we are image bearers of God designed to be in intimate relationships with one another. And he puts us in families for those intimate relationships. Family was God's idea. It was his design from the beginning of creation. In Genesis 1, again, we read that Adam and Eve were given for each other to be a family. They were charged to be fruitful and multiply. And the picture comes even clearer in chapter 2. If you flip over one page in your Bible, Genesis 2, 24, which says, A man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. You see, we've been designed to always be set in a family. The man would leave one family, that of his father and mother, and form a new one with his wife. All of us have been designed to be set in families by our creator, by our designer. And there's a foundational aspect of who you are that comes from the family in which God placed you. Through God's sovereignty, he has set us in particular families, the family you have. Now, that certainly doesn't mean that our experience of family is necessarily a healthy one. Nor does it mean, guarantee, that our experience of family is a holy one. For some of us, our deepest wounds have come to us through our families. We see that in the pages of Genesis as well. As you come to Genesis 3, flip over one more page. As we've studied before, Adam and Eve were tempted to eat of the tree of knowing good and evil. That is the tree of deciding for themselves what is good and what is evil. No longer depending on God, but wanting to belong to themselves only do what is right in their eyes. And as soon as Adam and Eve ate of that tree of rebellion, Genesis 3 verse 7 says that their eyes were opened and they knew that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together to hide themselves. You see, the intimacy that was designed for the family when sin entered the world, that intimacy was shattered and it was replaced with destruction. Even in those closest of relationships, Adam and Eve hid from one another. They sewed fig leaves to hide. They didn't want to be seen for who they really are in in complete vulnerability. You and I do the same things in our families. We hide. We hide hoping that no one will see what's really going on in my heart, what's really going on in my life. Adam and Eve hid from one another. They hid from God as well, verse 8 says. 
so do you and I. When the entry of sin into our most intimate of relationships, we live in this cycle of shame and blame. That's what happened in Genesis 3.12. Adam responded to God's questions by blaming Eve, saying, the woman that you gave me, she did it. You and I are just like that. When we're ashamed of what's true of us, we find somebody else to blame for it. Even if it's God, we want someone else to blame. If I don't like what's going on in my life, things have gone wrong, I want to find someone to point a finger at. We all do it. And it's intimacy that was designed and repl- designed for the family has been replaced with alienation and mistrust as we are ashamed and blame one another because of our sin. Intimacy has been shattered. But the good news is that our crucified and risen Savior Jesus is alive again. And he's at work to bring redemption into our families. We saw it in Colossians 3 last week that the old self has been crucified with Christ. And now we are God's chosen ones, his holy and beloved people, which means the Lord puts that work, to, to, uh, empowers that work within our families. Colossians 3 lays out how their families are redeemed. The Lord Jesus is at work enabling us to live as his people even within our families. Brokenness may remain, but there is hope. There is hope because Jesus is alive and is at work in our places of brokenness. The Lord remains committed to families, bringing renewal and bringing redemption in our families, but but not only in our families. When we submit to Jesus as our Lord and Savior, he sets us into a new family. It's called the church. A a family that's bonded not by flesh and blood, but bound together by the blood of Jesus, which was shed for us on the cross. It's belief in the cross of Christ that sets us into a new family, the family of God, and that family has doors that are open and arms that are flung wide. Romans 8 verse 16 describes it like this. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. That's who we are. We all are looking for a good father. Everyone wants a good father. We've been made and designed and created to fit in that family of love and support. Some of us don't have that on earth. Yet through Christ, we are adopted into the family of God. We become heirs of God, fellow heirs with Jesus. It's anyone who believes. And so if you are married or single, God's made you to be part of a larger family, not just your nuclear family. There's something fundamental, there's something basic, there's something about the root of who we are that comes from the family of God. In this text, it tells us that we're adopted sons and daughters, children of God, set within his family, and that's who you are. Your deepest identity, your deepest belonging comes not from your nuclear family, The deepest part of who you are, the deepest description of who you and I are is we are sons and daughters of the living God through the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been set in his family with arms that are flung wide open to people who are weary and broken, 
People who come into the family of God battered and bruised. People who feel like they may not fit find a good father in the family of God. God's family has doors that are open wide and arms open to welcome. There are some people, however, feel overlooked and feel unseen as if they don't have a place in the family of God. It's a true experience of some people in the church if they don't fit that traditional pattern of husband and wife and 2.9 children. They just feel like they don't fit. Singles, widows and widowers tell me that sometimes they don't feel like they fit in the church, in this church, because sometimes we don't know what to do with people in those stations of life. But friends, the family of God as he builds it is a family with arms open wide to those who feel like they are displaced, like they may not fit anywhere else in the world. They fit in the family of God and they are invited to come here to find a place to belong and to be cherished, to be beloved. Singles, single parents, if you're divorced, if you're displaced, if you're alienated from your nuclear family, you have a spot in the family of God. You have a place here. You belong here among the family of God. May we do better in treating you that way. And you don't feel like you fit in other places in this world. It's in the family of God. It's in the family of central, though it might be hard sometimes, that God is at work joining us more deeply together in the crucified and resurrected Jesus. We're bound tighter together as God's people than we even are in the nuclear families. You've been set in the family of God. You're kept in the family of God by his power. So let's open our arms wide Let's fling open our doors. Let's set places at our tables for people to be welcomed into our families, to be loved, that their gifts might be put to use, that they might feel like they are contributors in the family of God. And as we head into the holidays, would you make it tangible? Would you be willing to set a place at your table, make room at your holiday table, whether it's Thanksgiving or Christmas or some other celebration, would you be willing to make room for a single or a single again, a person who's displaced, who doesn't have a home to go to? Will you make room in your home as part of the family of God this Thanksgiving, this Christmas? Make, make it real what Psalm 68 says, that God sets the lonely in families May it be true of our families this year. God sets us in a family, a nuclear family and a church family, but he also shapes us in the family. We turn back to Psalm 78, which we read earlier in the service, and maybe some of you were wondering, will I ever get to it? Well, here's the moment. Psalm 78 shows us what God does in and through families, through blood families and the family of God. What he does is he disciples us. He grows us up in families, and Psalm 78 is God's plan of discipleship. And it starts with this. God's shaping us in a family is for intergenerational discipleship. It's always been the design of God for an intergenerational discipleship. Look at verse 4 of Psalm 78. 
For one generation shall tell another the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might, the wonders that he has done. But make sure you're thinking biblically, thinking broadly about what these intergenerational relationships mean. Yes, in our nuclear families, we are to read the Bible and pray together to talk about what the Lord is doing, to have that kind of open faith relationship within our nuclear families, but also in the family of God. This is where it is to happen. These intergenerational relationships inside the family of God. In the current literature on student ministries, researcher after researcher has identified how vital and important in the life of a student are older adults. Older adults are even more important than their youth leader, the research bears out. Now students, don't shoot me here. I heard some of you say, we don't need any more old people in the student ministries building. But the research says something different. The Word of God says something different. Some of the most formative opportunities and occasions in the life of a student is when an older person, often not their parent, pours into them the love of Jesus, pours into them the message of Christ, and lives before them the life of Jesus. That's how we grow in those kind of intergenerational relationships. And it doesn't stop when we get into adulthood. We still need intergenerational relationships where younger men and women are formed through the experiences in the hearts of older women and men in the church. That's God's design. That's God's plan and pattern for discipleship. And so I hope you realize how much of a blessing, frankly, a privilege that we have at Central as you look around this sanctuary and we see such a diversity of ages. It's a blessing. But even more importantly, we need this diversity of ages to build meaningful relationships with one another across the generations. That's God's design for discipleship. In our Wednesday night Equip You classes coming up the three Wednesdays, first three Wednesdays of November, we're going to have a class and some forum to discuss how we can make and deepen and maintain these vital intergenerational discipleships. How do we do it? How do we get connected with one another in that way? Because older saints need younger ones and younger saints need older ones. We need the wisdom of people who are in different generations to help us see God's world more clearly. Do you have those relationships? Are you set in those kinds of relationships and shaped in those intergenerational relationships? You can find them here at Central. Not only is the Psalm 78 plan of discipleship about intergenerational, but it's also hopeful. It's a hopeful discipleship. Sometimes we have a picture of being a disciple, that is, someone helps me uh, uh, merely gain information, get it downloaded and make sure I know all these facts and have them in order. That's that's part of it, but that's not the fullness of God's plan. Look at verse 6. One generation tells the next of God's mighty works of God so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God but keep his commandments we all need one another another generation to help us remember not only the word of God but the works of God how he's alive and at work in your life in ways that might buoy up hope from people who are struggling when we're struggling to see where we're going, we need other people in our lives, people who've, who've experienced hardship, 
We need another generation who's been before us who can help us see the places where we're struggling. How many times has it been for Missy and I when when we were not knowing what to do in the lives of our kids, we've received wisdom and insight and encouragement from someone who's an older parent, someone who's walked through what we walked through. It happens all the time. And it's not just in parenting. It's in all manner of our lives, all different facets of our lives. We need hopeful wisdom that comes through the lived experience with God that older people have. We need it. The church needs that, that measure of hope. It's, it's in the family of God where you have the opportunity to ask someone who's walked through the same heartache that you're going through, but they're ahead of you. They've been through that same mess that you're going through now. You can find hope in being in connection with people like that. God's plan for discipleship is intergenerational. It's also hopeful. And finally, it's honest. We need an honest discipleship. As we grow in the image of God being renewed and strengthened in Christ, doesn't mean that we pretend like we have it all together. The last thing the church needs is our leaders and teachers who are selling the lie that we've done it all right. And we're getting it all right right now. Instead, God's plan, look at verse 8. One generation tells another so that they should not be like their fathers. A stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. We need honest discipleship. To be honest about our failures, honest about where we have taken missteps, where we have sinned against God, so that another generation would not follow the places where we have failed. If you read the rest of Psalm 78, which is a pretty long psalm, so I'd encourage you, go home this afternoon, read it and meditate on it, and you will notice a pattern emerges. This is how it goes. God's faithful. His people rebel and turn away from him into disaster. God rescues, and God is faithful. His people rebel and turn away into disaster. God rescues, and God is faithful. It happens over and over and over in this psalm because that's the pattern that's common to humanity. That's the pattern that's common to our lives and the stories we tell about our lives, if we're honest, are stories about how God is faithful even when we haven't been faithful. And that's what our children need to hear. That's what another generation needs to understand that God is always faithful. Even when we aren't faithful, he is What the next generation needs is for people to be willing to live into the gospel, that the gospel of Jesus is always real and it's always powerful and God looks upon us in grace and God meets us where we are in Christ and he forgives us, he redeems us, he saves us, he's faithful even when we aren't. That's what the next generation needs. Not people who pretend like we have it all together. The next generation needs a former generation that knows that we need Jesus. Sometimes it's hard to be honest. Sometimes it's hard to be transparent about the challenges that we've we've endured and because somehow we think that they reflect poorly on us and maybe even on God. We just don't wanna tell the stories. But 
If the story of being a Christian is that I am a sinner deserving God's judgment and condemnation, but Jesus has rescued me, then how does it reflect on God poorly if I actually need rescuing? That's the whole point. The whole point is that Jesus is the Savior. The whole point of the Christian life is to demonstrate I need a Savior. That's what the whole thing's about. So let's not be afraid of being honest about what God has done in our lives. How he's chased us down and loved us even when we weren't faithful to him. If we want to raise another generation faithful to the Lord, let's be clear and honest about who this faithful God is. He's the hound of heaven. He's the one who chases us down and pursues us in love and into his family. So let me close with this question once more. What's your legacy? What do you want to leave behind May it be a history, may it be a story, a legacy of a faithful God who found us when we were lost and set us in his family, adopted us in Christ, and he's grown us up. When we felt lost, he's, he's surrounded us with brothers and sisters who can help us find our way. When we've been struggling, he's shaped us and encouraged us through other people among the body of Christ. There is not a better legacy to leave our children and our grandchildren than this. The testimony that God is faithful. Even when our families are not faithful, even when we have not been faithful, you can depend on the fact that God is always faithful. Let's pray. Lord, talking about family brings up emotions in some some of us that are hard to deal with. There are families that are torn apart. There are families that are alienated. There are families where parents have kicked their own children out of their home. There are families where children have turned aside from their parents and want nothing to do with them, Lord. Sometimes it's hard. It's hard to live in the family in which you set us, and yet, Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes and our hearts to your work, your faithful and present work of redemption and setting us in a new church family. Help us to love one another, to welcome one another, to have our arms open wide, to share our lives with one another. That Jesus, you might be exalted as you've made us brothers and sisters in the cross. Do that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.